Thank you, Lindsay, and good morning, Redeemer. It, it is wonderful to be with you. Uh, it's such a joy to work through judges together. Uh, even passages which can be a bit confusing and confronting like this. As we start, I want to add uh, my amen to the, uh, the announcements Mike gave. Uh, if you're new, uh, if you're exploring, if you're looking for a church to join, if you've been coming along, we'd love to have you at our membership class next Sunday afternoon. Uh, so good to hear about our church here, what it means to be a member here, how you could grow as a part of this church family. Uh, so please do join us uh, there next Sunday afternoon. Also, that opportunity uh, to serve the kids of our church, to pass the gospel on to the next generation. If you're thinking about ways you might be able to serve uh, on the other side of summer even, starting in September, now is the time to be praying. And now is the time to be talking to your friends, to your family, to your community group leader, uh, even to, to reach out uh, so that you can begin to be trained as together we uh, serve God's people together, uh, starting there in September. Anyway, let me, let me pray and we will get into God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank You uh, that You speak to us. And thank You that when You speak to us, You give us hope. Help us learn today from Your Word. Help us to be warned. Uh, help us to be shaped. And above all, give us hope in Jesus. It's in His good and great name that we pray. Amen. One of the great things about living in Dubai is the buildings. As you drive around, we see some pretty amazing buildings, uh, don't we? We've got the tallest building, the biggest mall, and of course, across the street, the most beautiful building in the world, uh, the Museum of the Future, supposedly. Uh, but as you drive around Dubai, you'll also begin to notice some other buildings. Buildings where they might have had the same grand vision, uh, they might have started really strong, but then something went wrong. Someone made a mistake, someone had a falling out, someone ran out of money, and these buildings that started strong have not finished well. They're sitting there as empty shells, they're sitting there falling apart before they were ever completed. Not everything that begins well will finish well. We see it in buildings, but sadly, we see it in spiritual lives too. Sadly, we'll sometimes see people who seem to start following Jesus, who are excited, who are passionate. Yet, years later, their spiritual lives look like one of those empty shells of a building. It never quite got completed. It's falling apart before it ever seemed to get established. How can we make sure that in our walks with the Lord, we finish well? It's something we see in Christian leadership and ministry. Sadly, we see those who lead God's people, even those who would be pastors, sometimes start well, yet fail to finish well. Well, today as we come to God's Word, we're going to learn about finishing well, how to finish the race, and we're going to learn from someone who didn't finish well. Uh, last week, we began the story of Gideon. And much of Gideon's story was encouraging. 
Uh, We saw Gideon moving from fear to faith. We saw Gideon, though he struggled sometimes to believe God, though he struggled and he kept asking for more proof, we saw Gideon growing in faith. We saw Gideon, though he struggled to believe, he ended up obeying every time. Gideon had a good start and Gideon was used powerfully by God. You can go back and look in chapters 6 and 7. Gideon was used powerfully to overthrow the idolatry of his own town and then Gideon was used powerfully to overthrow the the army of Midian. And as we join today, uh, we're going to join in the story at the end of this same battle. God has used Gideon in his army. Remember, God reduced the size. They had 32,000 men. God said, that's too many. Uh, And 22,000 left. They had 10,000 men ready to take on an army that could not be counted. Again, God said, that's too many. He reduced it to 300. Yet as 300 men went in, God used that 300 men to overthrow the army of Midian. They're beginning to flee. We see that in chapter 7, verse 24 to 8, verse 3. But from 8, verse 4, we'll see something different. Where Gideon started well, we'll see that some things start to go wrong. In 8, verse verse 4, we'll see that while Gideon had lived according to God's Word, he's now going beyond God's Word. Look there at 8 verse 4. Gideon came to the Jordan and crossed over. He and the 300 men who were with him, exhausted yet pursuing. This is that same battle that we heard about last week. God had used 300 men, spun the, the army of Midian into a panic. They were now running. Many of them had destroyed one another and they, they're chasing now. Gideon and his 300 men are chasing this still large army back over across the Jordan. But that's the first thing we should pick up. We're told that they came to the Jordan and crossed over. They've gone over the Jordan. Now that's important because the promised land, the land that God promised to Abraham, it was the land east of the Jordan. God had promised all the land east of the Jordan to Abraham and even though some Israelite tribes had settled on the west of the Jordan, the east was that promised land, the east was the the land that God had been telling His people to drive out the inhabitants. So already we get a hint that Gideon might be going beyond God's Word as he chases the the enemy army out out of the promised land across the Jordan And even though his army is exhausted, they keep pursuing. What's going on here? Well, we'll see that this isn't the only way that Gideon goes beyond what God has commanded him. Verse 5, he gets to the town of Succoth. And the town of Succoth, it's some Israelites. Yet they're Israelites who on the way into the Promised Land uh, had asked, actually, can we settle here? We know God's promised us the other side, but can we settle here? So, he's with some of the Israelites. And he says to the men of Succoth, please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they're exhausted. I'm pursuing after Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. And the officials of Succoth said, 
Are the hands of Zebra and Zomona already in your hand, that we should give bread to your army? So Gideon asks some fellow Israelites for help, for food, and these fellow Israelites say no. What if, what if you actually get defeated? What if you chase after the Midianites, they defeat you? We don't want to be known as those people who helped Gideon and his army. Uh, so they take the, the safe route and they say, well, we're not going to help you, we're not going to feed you. It's not very generous. Uh, then Gideon said, well, th- when the Lord has given Zeba and Zomona into my hand, I will flail your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And from there he went up to Penuel and spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him the same as the men of Succoth had answered. And he said to the men of Penuel, when I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. Neither Succoth nor Penuel were very servant-hearted. They weren't supporting their fellow Israelites. They were more scared of the foreign army that might come back and hear that they'd helped the enemy. Yet Gideon's response does seem over the top. Gideon, who last year, last week, seemed to be consumed with the glory of the Lord, now seems to get a bit angry and mean. He says, I will flail your flesh with thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And when he speaks of God giving him victory, of coming back in peace, he says, when I come back in peace, I'm going to destroy this tower. Well, Gideon and, um, and his army, they do go and win their battle, verse 10 to 13. And what should become a great victory? This is the end of the, the victory we'd heard about last week. God has delivered His people from Midian. God has saved His people. They should be coming back in victory and rejoicing, but instead, Gideon comes back looking for revenge. Uh, He returned in verse 14, he captured a young man of Succoth and questioned him. He wrote down for him the officials and elders of Succoth, 77 men, and he came to the men and said, Behold, Zebra and Zalmona, about whom you taunted me, saying, Are the hands of Zebra and Zalmona already in your hand, that we should give bread to your men who are exhausted? And he took the elders of the city, and he took thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them taught the men of Succoth a lesson. And he broke down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. This should be a time of great rejoicing. God has rescued His people. God defeated an army that could not be counted with 300 men. Yet instead of returning in victory and thanksgiving to God, Gideon returns in vengeance. He teaches these people a lesson and for the first time in Judges, we see a judge of Israel attack Israelites. The one whom God has raised up to deliver Israel is actually attacking and killing Israelites. God had said He was going to use Gideon to save Israel from the Midianites. God didn't say anything about attacking his own people, about thorns and briars. Gideon had been used by God, but now he's going beyond God's word, beyond God's commands. And we get some explanation for why he did this uh, from verse 18. Verse 18, he said to Zeba and Zalmona, the Midianite kings who he'd captured, 
who had been with him and had watched him slaughter now his own people, well, where are the men you killed at Tabor? They answered, well, as you are, so were they. Every one of them resembled the son of a king. And he said, they were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had saved them alive, I would not kill you. We're starting to learn more about Gideon's story and this is explaining a bit more. Why was Gideon so afraid when we first met him hiding in the wine vat? Well, his brothers had been killed by Midianites, his own brothers had been attacked, maybe these, these kings were there themselves. Gideonite, Gideon's own family had been killed by the Midianites when they were ruling. And so we see that as Gideon was used by God, while Gideon for a time seemed to be consumed by passion for the Lord and His glory, that now Gideon was looking for revenge. Now things were personal, he wanted vengeance. Uh, verse 20, uh, he said to Jetha, his firstborn, rise and kill them. But the young man did not draw his sword, for he was afraid, because he was still a young man. Then Zebra and Zalmunna said, Rise yourself and fall upon us, for as the man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and killed Zebra and Zalmunna. And he took the crescent ornaments that were on the necks of their cam camels. Jetha, Gideon's firstborn son, he reminds us of the Gideon we fell in love with. Gideon, who was a bit... Gideon, who was uh, a bit scared, a bit timid. We, we were happy to see Gideon grow out of that to confidence, but Gideon has gone way out over the other side. He's become mean and vengeful. He's become consumed with personal vengeance. He's gone beyond God's Word. And from verse 32, we'll see that uh, Gideon continues to go beyond God's Word, he goes beyond God's ways. In verse 22, uh, the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I'll not rule over you and my son will not rule over you, the Lord will rule over you. And Gideon said to them, let me make a request of you, Every one of you, give me the earrings from his spoil, for they had golden earrings, because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, we'll willingly give them. And they spread a cloak, and every man threw in it the earrings of his spoil. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, beside the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, and beside the collars that were around the necks of their camels. And Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city in Ophrah. And all Israel whored after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So Midian subdued before the people of Israel, uh, was, was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more. And the land had rest 40 years in the days of Gideon. Jeroboam, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives, and his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he called his name Abimelech. Here Gideon goes beyond God's ways, firstly, 
in acting like a king. The nation comes to him and says, be our king, you, your son, your grandson, rule over us. They say, you've saved us, so you should rule over us. And Gideon says the right thing, I'm not going to rule over you, the Lord will rule over you, the Lord is your king. Gideon says the right thing, but then he does the opposite. He says, I won't be your king. Then he says, but one thing, could you all give me a tribute? Could you all give me an offering of the spoils of war? He says, well, I won't be your king, but can you give me the big purple robe of the kings of Midian? I won't be your king, but he takes many wives and concubines, like ancient kings did. And if you're still not convinced, he said that he won't be king, but he named his son Abimelech. And Abimelech means, my father is king. So, he said, I'm, I'm not going to be king, the Lord is your king, yet he named his son, my father is king. Uh, he wasn't very good at not being a king. And when we get to chapter 9, in verse 2, Israel now expects his family to rule over them. Verse 2, Abimelech, can say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that 70 sons of Jeroboam rule over you, or one? He went beyond God's ways by, by really becoming a king, by acting like a king. And this wasn't just doing something that God hadn't commanded them to do yet, this was stealing the glory that the Lord deserved. If you remember why God brought the army down to 300, God gave a reason for why He wasn't going to let 32,000 Israelites fight, or even 10,000 Israelites fight. In chapter 7, verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. But now, chapter 8, verse 22, the men of Israel say to Gideon, you rule over us, you and your son and your grandson, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. They've forgotten the lesson of the 300. It's not they who saved themselves, it is God who saved them. They think, Gideon, you saved us, so you should rule over us. And Gideon, in his actions, well, he goes along with it, and he goes beyond God's word and beyond God's ways. But second, he goes beyond God's ways by setting himself up like a priest. Verse 27, Gideon made an ephod of all the spoil, all of these golden earrings that he's asked for tribute, and he put it in his city, in Ophrah, and all Israel whored after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. Gideon collects all this gold, melts it, makes it into... Um, an ephod, and people are led away from worshipping God to worshipping this thing. And what does that remind you of? The golden calf, right? Uh, the golden calf, God had delivered His people, God had given His people a great victory, He delivered them from Egypt, and with some of the gold that they'd brought from Egypt, they then made a uh, put it there together, they, threw, they made a, a calf 
and they were led away from worshipping the true and living God to worshipping this calf, saying, well, behold, the gods that saved you out of Egypt. It's similar, except it's different. This isn't an image of a different God. This is actually uh, an ephod, which is a piece of clothing that the high priest was meant to wear. The high priest was meant to wear this piece of, of clothing, which was made of gold, a gold breastplate, uh, there with precious stones. And so, what Gideon was doing was almost setting himself up as a priest. Priests, especially high priests, were meant to be from the tribe of Levi, but Gideon was from Manasseh. So, in making himself an ephod, well, he was setting himself up to be a kind of priest. But secondly, there was something that makes sense when you know Gideon. Gideon had always wanted guidance from the Lord. A part of the ephod that the high priest was meant to wear, uh, it had a little pocket with the things, the Urim and Thummim. We don't quite know how they worked, but sometimes God's people, through the priest, were meant to discern the Lord's will through this this Urim and and Thummim. God's people were, were told sometimes that's how God would guide them. And so, when, well, there's a proper one for the actual high priest. When Gideon makes that for himself, he's saying, oh, I want to be a priest and I want to be able to get the Lord's guidance whenever I want. And last week we saw when he wanted the Lord's guidance, well, he asked. It seemed fearful, it was a bit annoying and ungrateful, but he just went and asked God, yet now he's going to this next step of setting himself up as a priest, creating all the gear so supposedly he can have access to God's will whenever he wants. This is Gideon no longer asking, humbly asking God, but this is Gideon going beyond God's ways, acting like a king, acting like a priest, and we're told that Israel then hoard after it. Israel's hearts were led away from worshipping the true God. And we'll see that Gideon left a terrible legacy. Uh, we're going to look very quickly through chapter 9. But the one thing to notice here is that here we see the consequences of Gideon not finishing well. We see the consequences of the legacy that Gideon leaves. Yet, while there are terrible consequences, we'll see that things are never beyond God's power. Chapter 9, verse 1, Abimelech, one of his sons, uh, went to Shechem, to his mother's relatives, and said to them and the whole clan, say in the ears of the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all 70 sons of Jeroboam rule over you, or that one rule over you? one of his sons, the one born to a concubine, uh, he says, well, you don't want 70 people ruling over you. Now we're setting up this kind of monarchy, maybe I should rule. The people of Shechem agree and they conspire together and they slaughter the other sons, all but one of Gideon. Terrible. Uh, Gideon's family Uh, His 70 sons, all but one, are killed, slaughtered, and they make Abimelech king. It must feel like all is lost. God had raised up a judge, 
uh, God had raised up a judge, God had saved His people, but now the king, the, a king had been set up, a kingship had been stolen, uh, this king was executing the, the judge's children. must feel like God had lost control. Yet verse 23, we'll see that things are never beyond God's power. God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. So these two who had conspired together against Gideon's family, the Lord does something between them so that they turn against one another and they deal treacherously with one another. And the rest of chapter 9 is the story of how these two who conspired against Gideon's family killed his sons, how Abimelech and Shechem, they eventually turn on each other. Evil men betray evil men and destroy one another. Eventually Abimelech moves on to destroy another city and a woman drops a stone on his head and he dies in shame. It's a strange chapter, it's a depressing chapter, yet in all of it we're seeing that no matter how bad the consequences of sin, no matter how bad things seem to be unravelling, the Lord is never, has never lost control. The Lord knows what He's doing. We're told in verse 55, the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead and everyone departed to his home. Thus God returned the e- the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads, and upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. Now, did you notice there that the land is at peace again, yet not quite? We are told earlier that there was peace in the land, now it's just that the people return to their own house, it's not quite peace. Uh, yet God has His hand, God is not letting Israel yet descend into anarchy and chaos, though there's a rebellion, though people conspire against Gideon and his family, God brings an end to it and the people go back to their houses. We actually won't hear again of the land having peace until the days of Solomon going to be a long time. Uh, Stuff in Judges is going to get worse. We won't get peace restored amongst Israel. Yet even here, God is holding evil at bay, not letting it be as bad as it could. Things were never beyond God's control. But even more importantly, we see in verse 32 to 35, that things were never beyond God's grace. Though Gideon, though Gideon, through his family and his nation, would suffer consequences for his foolishness and sin, God, in His Word, chooses to remember Gideon as a man of faith and service. Did you notice that? We read some bits of the end of chapter 8 and chapter 9. Though Gideon, his family and the nation would suffer consequences for the, his foolishness and sin, Well, God chooses to remember him in his word as a man of faith and service. Verse 32, Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash, his father. Gideon, who failed to finish well, still experienced the Lord's grace. 
Verse 33, as soon as Gideon died, the people turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Barith their God. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jeroboam, that is Gideon, in return for all the good that he had done for Israel. Again in verse 9, 16, we hear of Jeroboam's son says, my father fought for you, risked his life and delivered you from the hands of Midian. And in 9 verse 56, God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he'd committed against his father. Gideon didn't finish well, yet Gideon trusted God. Gideon didn't finish well, yet the Lord in His grace even speaks well of him and the good he has done for his people. Hebrews 11 verse 32, the heroes of faith, who's the first judge to be mentioned? Gideon. Time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, who were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Here, God in His grace gives us a flawed man, a man who failed to finish well, a man who saw great consequences, catastrophic consequences in his life and his family and his nation. Yet God chooses to say, well, he was a good man, he did good for Israel. God honours him. How can God do that? Uh, how can God show such grace? How can God show such honour to someone who failed to finish well? It's because God is the God of grace. And because there was a greater Gideon, there was a greater deliverer. In the previous, in chapter 9, we, we saw that the consequences of sin, actually, well, God turned evil against itself and evil defeated evil because God was going to overcome the consequences of sin. We can point the finger at Gideon and say, how can God speak well of him? If we're willing to look in the mirror and say, actually, there's some blind spots in our lives too. There are some ways we might have fallen from the love we had at first. There's ways that we have failed to honour the Lord. Yet we have hope because if we know Jesus, if we trust in Him, we know a God who, with all the consequences, all the, all the guilt, all the punishment that our sin deserved, well, God poured it out. God poured it out in full. God turned evil in on evil. As Jesus was handed over by sinful men, as people conspired to put Jesus to death, so that He would take away our sin, our guilt, pay the punishment we deserved and so give us life. So that we, by God's grace, though we fail, though we go up and down, though we'll never live a life fully worthy of what God has done for us, so that we might know His grace. 
Even Gideon wasn't beyond God's grace, so neither are we. Yet as we look at Gideon's life, as we look at this passage, friends, let's learn that lesson from Gideon. Let's seek to finish well. Gideon had started so well, trusting God's Word, obeying God's Word, but then he went beyond it. You know, some people seem to fall short of God's Word, they might start following, but then they get lazy, they get tired, they stop trying, and that's dangerous. And we learnt about that in Judges 1 and 2, yet there's another, I'd say, equally dangerous, equally dangerous path, and that's going beyond God's Word. That's, that, there are some who are still full of zeal, some who are full of passion, some whose lives seem to be all about serving God, yet who've moved on from loving God and obeying God and glorifying Him. So, what can we learn from Gideon that we would finish well? Well, firstly, let's not rest on yesterday's grace. Most of us, I expect, God has worked powerfully in our lives at some point, drawing us to faith in Him, helping us to fight sin, to put sin to death. Yet, are you living on yesterday's grace? You're saying, oh yeah, God worked powerfully, God really changed my life 15 years ago or five years ago. We look back in thanks to what He's done, so that we can continue to abide in Him. Uh, Jesus told us to abide in Me, remain in Me, and you will bear much fruit. Friends, don't rest in yesterday's grace. Friends, don't let serving lead you beyond God's Word. It's such a joy to serve, isn't it? Our love for Jesus makes us love others and want to share Him and serve others. The joy that we have in hearing God's Word often leads us to, to want to share that Word with others. That is such a joy, such a privilege. Yet it's possible when we start serving, to start to build an identity in our serving and what we've done from God, for God. Gideon's life seemed to become less about the God who had saved him and more about the victories he had won. The victory that meant really he should be king. But listen to Jesus. He said, Do not rejoice in this, that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Even in the joy, the privilege of serving, serve with zeal, serve with joy. Yet don't let that pull you from relationship with God, thankfulness to God, your identity as a child of God. Let's not go beyond God's Word in becoming more excited in a certain way of doing ministry or a certain thing rather than in Jesus Himself. It's possible to be really excited about pure doctrine, really excited about Calvinism, really excited about being a healthy church, and those are excellent things. Yet we should always remain more excited about Jesus, that Jesus loves us, that Jesus calls us His own. 
Let's be propelled on in service and faith by God and His Word. Let's, let's never go beyond it. But how do we finish well? Uh, how do we do all of this? We can learn from Gideon the need to remain in God's Word. Let's remain in God's Word. First, keep reading God's Word. There are lots of good books, there are lots of good podcasts. They're good, use them, yet remain in God's Word. Let the main part of your diet be reading God's Word. Find ways to be in God's Word every day. Reading it, listening to it on your commute. Find ways to, to be in God's Word in community. Be in a community group, meet with others to read God's Word. And as you read God's Word, make sure that you actually read it and engage with it. Uh, you know, it's possible after a while to kind of have all the, the answers in your head. So even though you've got a Bible in front of you, your community group leader can ask you a question and you can just say, oh yeah, the answer is the Gospel. Or the answer, oh, it's Jesus, oh yeah, it's God's glory. Without actually looking down and saying, what does God's Word actually say? Let's not live in generalities, saying, oh yeah, I'm just living in response to the Gospel, I'm living for God's glory. That's good, but keep reminding yourself, what is the Gospel? Go to, go to God's Word to remind yourself what God's glory looks like, what God's love looks like, because it's in the details of God's Word that you'll continue to see who He is, see what He desires and remain in Him. And as you keep reading God's Word, we'll keep obeying God's Word. Let's make sure we are not just reading it to master God's Word, but we're letting it master us. A few years ago, I kind of had the question, it's like, when was the last time I went away and just concretely read some of God's Word and went and obeyed it. I feel like I'm living my life for Jesus and wanting to be more like Him, yet I'd lost, I think, some of the simplicity of reading God's Word. I'm reading it in the morning and say, this is warning me about anger. How am I going to make sure that I, I seek to obey God's Word today? If you read God's Word, well, write down what, how it's going to change you. If you've read God's Word, then go and revisit it that night to see, have I been changed by God's Word? If you're convicted by something at com community group, ask a friend to text you in a few days' time to ask what impact it's had in your life. It's easy to be around God's Word, but not truly in it, not being changed by it. Yet if we want to finish well, our hope is in the power of God's living and active Word, as it continues to change us, as it continues to protect us from ourselves. Let's keep obeying God's Word. And finally, let's keep communing with God. Let's rest in our relationship with Him. It's so easy to let other things crowd our relationship with God out. We say, oh, well, God loves family. And so I'm going to give myself to family and give ourselves so much to family that we just don't have time for a relationship with God anymore. That's going beyond God's Word. God's Word can lead us to ministry. 
We could say, yeah, ministry, serving God is great, and I know God wants that, and we get so busy in serving that we fail to go back and rest in God as our Heavenly Father. That's going beyond God's Word. Let's keep going back to Him. Keep spending time in relationship and thanksgiving with our Heavenly Father. Especially those of us who are serving. Let's make sure that we're never going beyond relationship with God, never going beyond time in His Word as it works in us. My church in Australia, I had a, a way of trying to do this in my life. Uh, I personally read the ESV Bible, like for my own quiet times, and our church was in youth, the NIV, the New International Version. So I had two separate Bibles, like my personal Bible and my ministry Bible. And it was a good reminder for me, because I want to make sure, hey, today, did I just pick up my ministry Bible and prepare talks for other people? Or did I pick up the Bible that's for me, for God to speak to me? And of course, when I'm doing ministry, I let that speak to me. As I've been <laughs> preparing judges, I, I need to let that speak to me first. Yet I don't trust my heart to just do my quiet times in the things that I'm going to teach to others. I, I go, go too quickly to, oh, well, they need to hear this. Or I could, I could, this illustration would work well here. If you are teaching others God's Word, make sure that first, first, you're going to God as, a as His child. You're spending time with Him in His Word. I think it's best if it's something completely unrelated to anything you will teach or use for ministry. Because our hearts can so easily be led to, again, use God's Word for others. And we need to feed on God's Word, hoping God's Word ourselves. Friends, let's keep looking to God in His Word. Let's remain in God's Word and let's look to Him in grace. We see that He is the God of patience and grace. We see that by Jesus, He has paid for our sins and our mistakes. We will fall. Yet still, let's seek to finish well. Hebrews 12.1, just after Gideon is mentioned in the Heroes of Faith, a few verses after Gideon is mentioned, we're told, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Jesus, uh, the One who fully gave Himself to God's Word, who fully sought to obey God's commands. I thank You for Jesus, that He finished well, that for the joy set before Him, endured the cross. Father, would You help us look to Him, and as we follow Him, as we rest in His grace, would You help us to be those who finish well? We pray You would use us, use us for Your glory, uh, use us to lead others to You, use us 
for your, the sake of your glory and your fame, yet never let it become about us. Uh, we are empty vessels. We are weak vessels. We pray people would see the gospel. People would see Jesus as precious, as powerful. We pray you would give us the joy uh, of being used uh, as we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. It's in Jesus' great and good name that we pray. Amen.